you want to start, we're, we're going to be in uh, Judges chapter 3 tonight. If you want to go ahead and turn there. And uh, while you turn there, I guess I'll just kind of give you a, a, brief, a brief background of where we're going to pick up the story. Um, the children of Israel sinned in the sight of God. So God turned them over, and the king of Mesopotamia came in and conquered them, and they were in bondage for eight years. And then Othniel, I don't know if I pronounced that correctly or not, but um, God raised him up, he delivered them, and they've had 40 years of rest. And so we're going to pick up in uh, verse 12, and we're going to look at the first three verses. And it says, And the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord strengthened Eglon, the king of Moab, against Israel, because they had done evil in the sight of the Lord. And he gathered unto him the children of Ammon and Amalek, and went and smote Israel, and possessed the city of palm trees. So the, king of, so the children of Israel served Eglon, the king of Moab, 18 years. So we're jumping back into the story, and here we learn that once again, the children of Israel sinned in the eyes of God. So he let the king of Moab come in and conquer them, and now they're in bondage for 18 years. And in fact, if you read this, this whole book, you'll, you'll realize over a 300-year period, this pattern repeats itself seven times. Seven times they sin in the sight of the Lord, he lets an evil king come in and take over and conquer them, and then they're delivered from it. The, the, the theme of the book is basically Israel does right in their own eyes. Um, if you want to, we don't have the time tonight, but if, you, if you'd like a summary of what, what they did to sin against God, uh, over in the book of Psalms, chapter uh, 106, verse 34 through 48, it's going to summarize basically everything they did that upset God. So as I read this story, I started thinking back to when I was a little kid. And, and you hear the story of uh, the Exodus, right? Moses leads them out. They get across the, the Red Sea. And then they're, oh, you let us out to the desert to, to let us die. We, we'd, be, we'd be better back with Pharaoh. Like they just forgot the blessings that God gave them. And they're immediately murmuring against God. Right? And then we, we just keep going. You see this pattern over and over. And that's what this whole book is about, is this pattern of God blessing them. And then them saying, oh, we can do it ourselves and go in our own way. And then things get bad. They get conquered. They get in bondage. And they say, Lord, help us. We, we can't do this without you. And he delivers them, only for them to turn around and do it again. And I remember thinking as a little kid, as I would hear these things, like, these must be the dumbest people ever. How do you not learn from your mistake? Right? We just keep doing the same thing over and over. That's a definition of insanity. How are we not learning from our mistake here? And it wasn't until I got older that I realized that that's me. Right? We all have that. You know, if, you, if you've been saved, you, you've recognized that you're a sinner, and you, you turn to, to Christ and he said, save me. And, you know, now you're saved from your sins. 
And you're riding that high, that wave of, oh, I, nothing could be better right now, right? When you first get saved, nothing could be better. You're on fire. And then months go by, and, and you start to peak, and you start coming back down. And, and, oh, I can do this on my own. Everything's good. And then you get a trial. Trial comes up. Something bad in your life, and you're, you, you cry out to God, God, I, I need you. I can't get through without you. And, and he delivers you, right? And you're like, oh, that's, that's so great. Lord, I'm sing your praises. I'm going to do everything for you. And then a month goes by, two months go by, and you're right back in the same pattern. We're those morons too. We're the same people. As, as I was thinking about that, there, um, there was a verse when, when we were in junior high in JVs. It was our key verse. It was Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. And just to summarize it, uh, it says, We should lay aside every weight and the sin which does e- so easily beset us and run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. See, if we were looking unto Jesus, if we were doing this patiently and every day turning to Jesus, we wouldn't be in this pattern. Every day we'd wake up and we'd know, Lord, you're blessing me and I need to stay with you. I need to keep looking at you. Think about about Peter when he got out of the boat to walk on the water. And he was great until he took his eyes off of, off of Jesus and he started to sink. Right? That's us in our lives. As long as we're focused on Jesus, if he's what we're looking to, we're not going to get in this pattern. But they, they are in this pattern. And so we're going to go on and we're going to read the next three verses. And it says, But when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, the Lord raised them up a deliverer. Ehud, the son of Jerah, a Benjamite, a man left-handed, and by him the children of Israel sent a present unto Eglon, the king of Moab. But Ehud made him a dagger, which had two edges of a cubit length, and he did gird it under his raiment, under his right thigh. And he brought the present unto Eglon, king of Moab, and Eglon was a very fat man. You'll have to forgive me because I'm used to teaching junior high. And junior high boys, once I teach this story, they love this story. And, and you'll understand why as we continue on. But uh, well, we, basically, we meet two characters here, right? Two characters for our story. We meet Eglon, the king of Moab, and Ehud, or Ahud, however you pronounce it. He's a Benjamite. And they have two different roles. Eglon, he's the oppressor. He's the enemy of God's people. And then we have Ahud, who's raised up by God to deliver his people. But it's interesting, as you read this, there's, there's a unique characteristic mentioned about both of these men. And it, it, it's weird because it's a detail that seems out of place almost when you read the Bible. And Eglon, his unique characteristic says he is a very fat man. Only time in the Bible where someone is described as a very fat man. It's almost like he just put it in there to insult him. But it's important. And then we have Ahud and his unique characteristic. He was left-handed. Just by a show of hands, how many people were in there left-handed? Wow, that's actually way more than I expected. I was expecting like four because I know about three of them. about 10% of the world's population is, is left-handed. So it's, it's rare. Maybe not in this crowd, but it's rare. Um, so you, you, 
you read the Bible and you see this detail and you're like, well, why is that important? Well, in, in this case, it's important because, right, he's the deliverer. He's, he's sent to deliver. He's going to get an audience with the king. And, and it says there in, in verse 16 that he made him a dagger that was a cubit of length and he girded under his right thigh. Well, if you think about approaching a king, king's going to have guards, right? King's going to have security. I don't know if they did pat downs back then, but that was possible to happen. Well, if 90% of the population are right-handed, where does a, a right-handed person keep their weapon? They keep their sword on the left so they can draw, right? So the guards would have looked right there. Oh, I don't see a sword. They might even pat it down that leg. Oh, no, king, he's good. But because this man was left-handed, they didn't check the other thigh. Details, these little important details. So Eglon, he represents something. And what he represents to us, he's the world. He's self-indulgence. Right? He's the flesh, literally. There's a bunch of flesh. He is the flesh. He is the, the lust of the flesh. He is the world. But then we have Ehud. And Ehud represents something too. He represents God's people responding to his call. Right? He was willing and he was obedient that when God raised him up, he had an ability, a special skill that he could be used, that could be used for God's purpose. I, I, I seriously doubt that growing up, Ehud was like, hey, you know what? This left-handed thing, it's going to pay off one day. God's going to use this. This is going to make all the difference in the world. There's no, no doubt. He didn't, he didn't ever think that. But God called him, and he had a skill that God could use. If you're serious about doing God's will for your life, he's going to find whatever little attribute you have, that special little skill that you think is useless, he'll find a way to use it. If you're serious and willing to do what he wants for you. Story continues. And when he made an end to, the, to offer the present, he sent away the people that bear the present. But he himself turned again from the quarries that were by Gilgal and said, I have a secret errand unto thee, O king, who said, Keep silence. And all that stood by him went out from him. So he brought the present to the king. And then he tells the king, Hey, I got, I got something secret for you. The king doesn't want anybody to know about it. Oh, it's just for me. So he sends everyone away. And Ehud came unto him, and he was sitting in his summer parlor, which he had for himself alone. And Ehud said, I have a message from God unto thee. And he rose out of his seat. And Ehud put forth his left hand and took the dagger from his right thigh and thrust it into his belly. And the haft also went in after the blade, and the fat closed up upon the blade so that he could not draw the dagger out of his belly, and the dirt came out. Now you can understand why the junior high boys that I teach love the story. Then Ehud went forth through the porch and shut the doors of the parlor upon him and locked them. And when he was gone out, his servants came, and when they saw that, behold, the doors of the parlor were locked. They said, Surely he covered his feet in the summer chamber. And they tarried till they were ashamed. And behold, he opened not the doors of the parlor. Therefore they took a key and opened them, and behold, the Lord was fallen down dead on the earth. I'm sorry, and behold, their Lord was fallen down dead on the earth. 
And Ehud escaped while they tarried and passed beyond the quarries and escaped unto Sirath. And it came to pass when he was come that he blew a trumpet in the Mount of Ephron. And the children of Israel went down with him from the mount and before them. And he said unto them, Follow after me, for the Lord hath delivered your enemies, the Moabites, into your hands. And they took, and they went down after him and took the fords of Jordan toward Moab and suffered not a man to pass over. And they slew of Moab at that time about 10,000 men, all lusty and all men of valor, and there escaped not a man. So Moab was subdued that day under the hand of Israel, and the land had rest for fourscore years. In these verses, we see the, the victory for God's people. We see their deliverance. But I want to focus on, on the weapon that was used to deliver them. The weapon, that, that dagger. It says the dagger was a, was a cubit. That's what we read earlier. So we're, we're thinking about a, at least 18 inches long. Um, plus the handle. And the dagger was so sharp that when he stabbed the fat king, it cut so deep that the handle went in after it and then the fat closed upon it and he couldn't remove the, the knife from it. And I, I think, we, you know, we have a dagger. So it's not quite a knife. It's not quite a sword. But if you saw, showed it to a general person, they're probably going to classify it as, hey, that's a little sword. And, and so I started thinking about Sword, sword. So he used the sword to defeat the enemy. Hmm. Well, that seems to make sense, right? Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17. Uh, most of y'all are probably familiar with that. It tells us that the Bible is the sword of the Spirit. Right? And Hebrews 4.12 tells us, The word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. I couldn't get over that, right? We, and, and time and time again, you'll see the sword used, but, but here the sword was used to defeat the enemy. And, and all I could think was, you know, when, when the word of God is applied as a sword to the flesh, the results aren't pleasant. It's not pretty. Just like this image that, we're, that we, we get in the Bible here, that's not, it's not a pretty image of a, a fat king getting stabbed. It's, it's gross. To think about how, again, we're talking a blade that's like this that disappeared inside someone. So that tells you how big this man had to be. Right? It's a, it's a disgusting image. And I, and I thought about, you know, that's what happens when you apply the sword of the Spirit. That's what happens when you apply the Bible to your life to those sins in your life, it's disgusting. You realize just how bad and out of control the flesh can be. Amen. I'm shocked that, that... That's probably not how I should say that. I, I, think, it's, I think it's so cool... That's probably, again, not how I should say that. But I think it's, I think it's cool. I'm fascinated by the, by the Bible and the scriptures. When, when things like this, the sword is used to defeat him, and then we have the sword. And I'm, I'm fascinated how, how that ties together, right? I understand it's two different items that, that are being used, but that the, the simile, the, the metaphor of it all together 
It's just, it's just so beautiful to me that, that, that God put that there. And, and just th- this whole story of, of the flesh, the world being bigger, you know, this king was huge. And, and that's what the world is to us, right? The world is, is this big, revolving, awful place, sinful place. And the only way that we're going to be able to defeat that is with the sword. So Ehud applied the sword, made a clean getaway. The servants didn't know what hit him. They thought the king was just in there. He went and got the rest of them. They came in and they slew everyone. And as a result of this, they had rest for 80 years. Now, as I said earlier, they didn't learn from their mistake. They get into the same pattern again. But that's what happens when you follow God's plan. He can deliver you from the bondage that you're in. Ehud was ready when God God called upon him. And he used his abilities to defeat the enemy and deliver the children of Israel. And my hope is that all of us can be like him. And when God gives us the opportunity that we'll take his word, we'll take his sword, and we're willing to use it to defeat the enemy and give God the victory. That's all I have tonight. Um, Short and sweet.